0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. On March 26, 1964, Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X met in person for the first and only time. Their meeting was brief, unplanned, and monumental. For years, the two icons of the American Civil Rights Movement had circled each other. Both believed strongly in the importance of their struggle but they approached the problem of black rights in America in different ways. King endorsed a policy of nonviolence no matter what. Malcolm X believed that if someone struck you, you should strike back. This chance meeting could have led somewhere. Malcolm X had recently signaled a new openness to working with mainstream civil rights leaders. King would soon emerge as one of America's foremost critics of the Vietnam War and a powerful voice for ideas, radical at the time, like eradicating poverty. But we'll never know. Within a few years of their one and only meeting, both men were dead, killed by an assassin's bullet. You're listening to History Uncovered, brought to you by the digital publisher All That's Interesting, where we explore the uncharted corners of the natural world and the world past. I'm All That's Interesting contributor Kalina Fraga. Today, we'll explore the moment when Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X finally met. So that Reverend Martin Luther King can continue to teach the Negroes to be defenseless. That's what you mean by nonviolent, be defenseless. Be defenseless in the face of one of the most cruel uh, beasts that has ever taken the people into captivity. That's just the American white man. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X had similar goals as leaders of the civil rights movement in the 1950s and 60s, but their paths to that point couldn't be more different King had grown up in the world of Atlanta's Black elite. His father, Martin Luther King Sr., was a beloved preacher at Ebenezer Baptist Church. King remembers clearly that his father never answered to the denigrating term boy and insisted on being called Reverend King. However, King wasn't insulated from the harsh realities of growing up Black in the 1930s and 1940s. When he was eight years old, a white woman slapped him across the face simply for stepping on her foot. When King was 19, he, and other black passengers, had to stand for the entirety of a 90-mile bus trip from Atlanta to Dublin, Georgia, so the white passengers could sit. King recalled that it was, "'The angriest I have ever been in my life.'" After enduring a youth shaped by such oppression, King went on to study at Morehouse College in Georgia then at Crozier Theological Seminary in Pennsylvania. After attaining his degrees, King moved to Montgomery, Alabama. There, as the president of the Montgomery Improvement Association, King became involved in the Montgomery Bus Boycott, a year-long protest against racial segregation on public transit. This set King on his way to becoming a leader of the civil rights movement. And I think some of the uh, criticisms... Of uh, nonviolence, as so some of the critics fail to realize uh, that we are talking about something very strong and they confuse non resistance with nonviolent resistance. Malcolm X had a very different childhood. His parents, Earl and Louise Little, were devoted followers of the Jamaican organizer Marcus Garvey. In the autobiography of Malcolm X, Malcolm recalls attending political meetings in support of Garvey with his father. He writes The image of my father that made me proudest was his crusading and militant campaigning with the words of Marcus Garvey. Garvey believed in the importance of developing black political power and endorsed ideas like the Back to Africa movement, which encouraged black people to immigrate to Africa. Malcolm lacked the stability that King had enjoyed in his youth. Malcolm's family moved often his father could be violent. And in 1931, Earl Little died, killed in a streetcar accident, which his family suspected was actually a murder perpetrated by the Ku Klux Klan. Malcolm dropped out of his predominantly white high school when he was 15. In 1941, he moved to live with his sister in Boston. A year later, he moved again, this time to Harlem. Throughout the forties, Malcolm lived a life of crime Robbing homes to make ends meet. Eventually, he was caught and sent to prison, all before his 21st birthday. Malcolm's time in prison would change his life. There, Malcolm took educational courses and became an avid reader. He devoured books on black history by writers like W.E.B. Du Bois and honed his skills as a public speaker. He also discovered the Nation of Islam. The nation, led by Elijah Muhammad, had absorbed many of Garvey's ideas. Muhammad preached that black political self-determination and the restoration of black glory was God's will. White people, he said, were devils who had committed crimes against black people. The Nation of Islam would make Malcolm X an icon of the civil rights movement and, according to most, would lead to his assassination. Just as Uncle Tom back during slavery used to keep the Negroes from resisting the Bloodhound or resisting the Ku Klux Klan by teaching them to to love their enemy or pray for those who use them despitefully. Today, uh, Martin Luther King is just a 20th century or modern Uncle Tom. By 1964, both Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X had secured their place as leaders of the American Civil Rights Movement, but they prescribed different solutions to America's racial ills. King encouraged Black Americans to utilize nonviolent techniques peaceful marches. But Malcolm X viewed King's tactics with impatience. Calling King a modern Uncle Tom, Malcolm declared that King was encouraging Black Americans to be defenseless in the face of one of the most cruel beasts that has ever taken a people into captivity. In his autobiography, Malcolm wrote, I am for violence if non-violence means we continue postponing a solution to the American Black man's problem just to avoid violence. King disagreed. He saw violence as self-defeating and believed that urging Black Americans to arm themselves as Malcolm X did would reap nothing but grief. In addition to their divergent views, Malcolm X and King fought on different battlefields Much of Malcolm's work was focused in the North. King's efforts were primarily in the South. Media attention largely focused on King, especially during his efforts to combat segregation in Birmingham, Alabama. But as Malcolm X noted at a rally in Harlem, Birmingham is not in the South alone. It is in the North too. That is, racism existed everywhere. It wasn't only a Southern problem. Malcolm and King continued to cautiously circle each other. In July, Malcolm invited King to attend one of his Harlem rallies to, in Malcolm's words, get an idea of the mood of the masses of Negroes. King declined. Malcolm decided to skip King's summer rally, the famous March on Washington, during which King would give his iconic, I have a dream speech. Malcolm paid attention to the march, but wasn't impressed. To a journalist, he quipped, While King was having a dream, the rest of us Negroes are having a nightmare. Both men were important to the civil rights movement, but it seemed unlikely that they would meet. Then, a decision of Malcolm's changed everything. If anyone has ever lived with a nonviolent movement in the South, from and- Montgomery, on through the Freedom Rides and through the sit-in movement and the recent Birmingham movement and see the reactions of many of the uh, extremists and reactionaries in the white community, uh, he wouldn't say that this movement makes, uh, this philosophy makes them comfortable. In early March 1964, Malcolm X made the fateful decision to leave the Nation of Islam in a lengthy statement declaring his independence from the nation Malcolm wrote that he wanted to cooperate in local civil rights actions. He said, It's going to be different now. I'm going to join in the fight wherever Negroes ask for my help. As Malcolm stepped away from the Nation of Islam, the group's members began to plot his assassination. But, initially, Malcolm thrived outside of the organization. He used his new political freedom to speak at length about his position on civil rights. There will be nonviolence only with those who are not violent with us, he said, and noted that if King could battle for human rights as a Christian minister, he could do the same as a Muslim minister. On March 25th, Malcolm announced his plans to visit the U.S. Senate the following day to witness the filibuster of Lyndon B. Johnson's civil rights bill. I'm throwing myself into the heart of the civil rights struggle, he said. That day... March 26, 1964, Martin Luther King Jr. was also at the Senate. There, he held a press conference on the civil rights bill with Senator Hubert Humphrey. Humphrey was fighting hard on the floor of the Senate to get the bill passed. In the audience was Malcolm X. Well, I'd rather say that uh, in the States, there's a law that has recently been passed or a decision handed down by the court wherein if you call someone an Uncle Tom, they can sue you for libel.
1: Well, so I never referred to uh, uh, them
0: as Uncle Tom. I would say that Uncle Martin is my friend. After King finished his press conference, the two men ran into each other in the Senate gallery. King said, well, Malcolm, good to see you, and extended his hand. Malcolm took it. Good to see you, Malcolm said. The two men walked together for a few minutes, talking as camera bulbs flashed. Newspapers at the time weren't quite sure what to make of it. One called it a bizarre union. Another framed their meeting as one of finding common ground to support the Civil Rights Bill. Ultimately, the moment captured something much larger. Both men had begun to appreciate the other's perspective and potential. King increasingly considered urban centers in the North as important locations for future civil rights actions. Malcolm X had openly stated his willingness to join the mainstream civil rights struggle. Previously, his association with the Nation of Islam and his ideas about racial separatism had prevented this. In his autobiography, published in 1964, Malcolm X wrote, I was no less angry than I had been, but anger can blind human vision. America is the first country that can actually have a bloodless revolution. But the depths of their potential partnership will never be known. In less than a year, Malcolm X would be murdered. If his approach would bring about uh, what the black man in America needs to completely eliminate the problem that we have, I would say well and good. But I very much doubt that uh, anyone who uh, adopts the approach that Martin Luther King has been teaching to our people in that country can point to any meaningful gains that has actually served to solve the problem. On February 21st, 1965, Malcolm X was shot and killed at the Audubon Ballroom in New York City. One shooter was arrested, however, witnesses claimed that there had been several more. The culprit was likely the Nation of Islam, but conspiracy theories mounted in the aftermath of Malcolm's death. Three months before, he had told a friend that he would probably be killed by either the Nation of Islam or the FBI, or both. King mourned the death of Malcolm publicly and privately. In his column in the Amsterdam News, King acknowledged that he and Malcolm had not seen eye-to-eye on many issues facing Black Americans. Yet, wrote King, Malcolm X's murder deprives the world of a potentially great leader. To Malcolm's widow, Betty Shabazz, King wrote of his deep affection for Malcolm. He praised Malcolm X's great ability to put his finger on the existence and root of the problem. No one can doubt, King wrote, that Malcolm had a great concern for the problems that we face as a race. They had led divergent paths all their lives. But Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. would suffer similar fates. Three years later, King himself would be dead, assassinated, just like Malcolm, shot to death by a man named James Earl Ray as he stood on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee, on April 4, 1968. King's widow, Coretta Scott King, later acknowledged in a 1988 interview that the two men might have enjoyed a great friendship if they had both lived. "'I think they respected each other,' she said." I am sure that if they had lived, they would have come closer together and would have been a very strong force in the total struggle for liberation and self-determination of Black people in our society. Sadly, we'll never know what the two men could have accomplished, either together, united against racism in America, or apart. Thanks for listening to History Uncovered. I'm History Uncovered's producer, Kit Westneat. If you like the show, help others find us by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And be sure to follow the All That's Interesting and History Revealed pages on Facebook and Real History Uncovered on Instagram. Make sure you don't miss out on the new episodes and subscribe to the History Uncovered podcast. And keep up with our latest stories at allthatsinteresting.com. If you have a question about the show or just want to say hi, feel free to call us at 929-526-3029 or email us at podcasts at allthatsinteresting.com. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Legends of the Old West and Redacted History. Until next time, keep exploring. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History, wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History, wherever you get your podcasts.